Mark 10:17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult will it, it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the very word of God. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, Like Daryl said, I uh, have had the privilege of knowing him and Crystal since I was in college, and somehow I tricked him into making me the head lifeguard, and I had no lifeguarding experience. So Caleb asked me, like, did you do your job well? Like, were there any kids who needed rescue? I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I'm the pastor of uh, Christ Central Church. We planted it about five years ago, and um, it's been uh, uh, quite a journey to see the Lord uh, uh, working in and through the lives of his people. And, um, and it's been difficult, it's been uh, an honor, it's been a privilege, and it's been trying. As I'm sure you guys know this last year has been very trying. But today, my goal is to uh, really just bring you an encouraging word. I just want to encourage you from the scriptures, encourage you uh, to, to really just be all in on following Jesus, especially in today's cultural moment. I think what our society needs are, are believers who are all in on following Jesus. Like the main thing that we are about is following the Lord. And so that's what I, uh, what I want to encourage you with today. Um, I think one of the things I've noticed that has been a, a struggle with the church in America, the struggle with the church in the West, is that we have grown very apathetic. I think uh, uh, we've grown very comfortable. I think the church, by and large, has really struggled with being an, an apathetic people. 
We've, we've grown very comfortable in our Christianity. I, I recently heard the story of uh, an Iranian couple who were Christians. They had the opportunity to get out of Iran and move to uh, the U.S. And so uh, they took that opportunity. There's a lot of persecution that they would have faced if they would stay. So they moved to the U.S. And after living here for just a little while, uh, the woman told her husband that she was ready to go back to Iran. And this baffled the, the husband. He was like, what? Why? Like, why would you want to go back to Iran? And this was her answer. She said, there's a satanic lullaby in the church in the U.S., and all of the Christians are sleepy. She said, there's a satanic lullaby in the church in the U.S., and all of the Christians are sleepy. She noticed that she herself was becoming sleepy, and so she would have rather gone back to Iran than stayed in the the U.S. where she herself was becoming sleepy. She would rather go face persecution, jail time, possible execution in Iran, than live a sleepy, comfortable, apathetic Christianity here in the U.S. This is something the Lord has been working in me and on me for the last few months. It's something I've been really challenging our church with, is this idea that the Christian life, following after Jesus, is an all-in endeavor. It requires our entire lives. It's not haphazard, just do as much as you want kind of life. It's not a buffet. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, my family, we grew up going to Golden Corral. Any Golden Corralers in here? I don't even know if they're still around, but we went to Golden Corral a lot, and our parents just, my parents just like took us, and it was a buffet, and it was like, go grab whatever you want. And so it was great, and you know how buffets work. You just go get whatever you want. You just go get as much as you want, whatever you want, and you're just uh, enjoying that food. And you don't even care what else is on the buffet. That's not what you matter. You got what you wanted, and you're good to go. And that's the beauty of buffets. But that's not what God had in mind when he decided to create the church. We don't just get to pick and choose which things Jesus said that we want to follow and then ignore everything else. But unfortunately, this is how a lot of Christians treat following Jesus. Francis Chan said this about the church. He said, we're busy reassuring one another that God wants us to do what's safest for our families and to pursue him in a way that looks suspiciously similar to what we'd naturally do if our only concern was our own comfort and happiness. He's basically saying that Christians pursue God to the degree that it makes us happy, safe, and comfortable. And then we reassure each other that we're doing all, or we're all doing just what God wants us to do. And by and large, I think this is true. We want to pick the things from the Bible buffet that look nice and make us feel good, and we discard everything else that looks like it could disrupt the flow of our own personal fulfillment and comfort. So today I just want to look at this story that was read from Scripture, and I want to talk about what needs to be in place in our lives and in our church, so that we can find freedom from this trap of the satanic lullaby, this apathetic, comfortable Christianity. So let's look again at Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. It says this, I want to read it again. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before Jesus and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. And honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So here's the story. A well-to-do guy walks up to Jesus and asks him, how can I have eternal life? Like, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And this is a question that we all would do well to wrestle with. Jesus doesn't just give the straight-up answer to this man. Knowing what was in the heart of this man, Jesus replied with six of the Ten Commandments. This was Jesus' answer, was six of the Ten Commandments. And the man probably began to feel pretty good about himself. Because he answered Jesus and said, he had kept all of those from his youth. Lord, I've, I've done all those things. All these, these six commandments you've laid out, I've done all of these. And so he's probably expecting Jesus to say something like this. Well, keep up the good work, and I'll see you there. I'll see you in heaven. You're doing a good job. Keep up the good work, I'll see you there. Hey man, you're doing a good job at obeying all the rules. You've been morally exemplary. You're doing all the right things. Just keep it up. That's probably what this guy was expecting. But Jesus replied, you're missing one thing. Go get rid of all your money, all of your possessions. Sell them so that you can come and follow after me. What was Jesus doing here? What was Jesus trying to get at with this Man, was it about how much money the guy had? I don't think that's what Jesus was doing. I think what Jesus was doing, it was about where this guy was finding his hope, his comfort, and his security. The guy who had followed the six out of ten commandments that Jesus had quoted from the ten commandments, the problem was he wasn't following the first of the ten commandments, which is you shall have no other gods before me. Money... And wealth and possessions were coming before God. And so when Jesus called this out in the man, the guy became very sad and was unwilling to give up everything in order to follow after Jesus. This is one of these stories where it's easy for us to look at this guy and say, what are you doing? Like, Jesus, the Son of God, is standing right before you, inviting you to follow him. How could you choose your money, your possessions, your house? How could you choose those things after following Jesus? It's easy for us to point out uh, the the flaws with this guy and and scoff at his answer. 
But the story carries a lot more weight than just scoffing at this guy. I think the story begs us to ask the questions, is Jesus really first in my life? Is there anything that I have not given over to God? Are there any things that I have placed in front of him that I put my hope in, my comfort in, my security in, that isn't God himself? Because if there is, then then there's some serious self-evaluation that needs to take place. Because Jesus goes on to say how difficult it is for a person who's well-to-do to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is making this a big deal. If there are things in your life that you have placed in front of God, if you're unwilling to repent of those things and to confess to the Lord and turn from them, then there's reason for you to really examine whether or not you really are a Christian. That's what Jesus is saying here. We don't need to be around the bush. We don't need to pat ourselves in the back and say, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. If indeed we aren't willing to make the necessary changes and repent in our lives. We cannot say that we are followers of Jesus if we're not first and foremost following Jesus. But too often we want to. And Jesus asks us to give him everything to be all in. So today I just want to look at some of the things that I think from the story we see and just in the the, the church today that we see, things that keep us from being all in, things that we find uh, comfort in or hope in or security in that cause us to, to have this apathy, that cause us to have this comfortable Christianity and to keep us from, from being all in with the Lord. And I think for the first thing that we see, one of the first things from this story is a pretty, pretty easy one, especially here in the West, in America. The first one is money, wealth, and possessions. Money is such a trap for us who live in the West today. Everything is about what you have or what you don't have. And we make so many decisions based upon money. This is something we all do. We all struggle with this. And that's not necessarily a bad thing to make decisions based on money. We need to be wise. We need to make fiscally responsible decisions. But it becomes a bad thing when you're unwilling to make spiritually significant decisions because it might cost you financially. Or you might not be able to get the house, or the car, or the stuff that you want. If you're unable to get the things you want, and you don't don't make spiritually significant decisions because it might keep you from getting the things you want, that is a problem. If money has a grip on your heart, if it's what makes you feel secure and comfortable, then you have placed it ahead of Jesus. Because what would happen which is a a real possibility in today's world, what would happen if you suddenly lost your job? If money is what you're putting your hope in, if possessions are what you're putting your hope in, what happens if you lost your job this week? Would your faith waver? Or would you have a resolve about you because money wasn't what you were placing your hope in? I read recently... um, about the early church. I read through a book about the early church with some guys. And one of the things the early church would do, by early church I mean the first like 150 years after the New Testament was written, those first two centuries of the church. One of the things the early church would do, they, they would pray exorcistic, exorcistic prayers over each other. 
And, and so the view that we have of exorcisms, like based on Hollywood, is not the, the view that the early church had of exorcisms. They would, they would lay hands on each other and pray exorcistic prayers over each other when the believers were struggling with persistent sins. And one early church father writes that one of the primary issues that they would pray exorcistic prayers over each other was when believers were struggling with the grip of money and wealth. Like when there was believers who were coming to the gathered assembly and they were confessing that that money and wealth and possessions had a grip on them, what the church would do, they would lay hands on them and pray prayers of exorcism. They viewed that to be a demonic influence in the lives of the believers. And so I think this is something serious that we need to take serious. Like money and wealth and possessions can keep us from being all in on following Jesus. Because money and wealth and possessions can have a grip on our heart that provide us more security or more comfort or more hope than what Jesus himself does. And that's a problem. So that's, I think, one of the, one of the things that causes us to struggle with this comfortable, apathetic Christianity. The second I think of is the approval of others. I think this is something I've seen in the, in the church today that, that Christians really struggle with. We struggle with longing for the approval of others. If we are unwilling to obey the commands that Jesus lays out for us, because of what it might cause others to think about us, then we're putting others' opinions about us higher than what Jesus calls us to, higher than Jesus. The story doesn't say, but this could have been something the well-to-do man struggled with. I imagine that with his wealth came much status. With having a lot of money and possessions during this day, you would have a lot of status amongst the people. So as this well-to-do man in the story we read considered having to give up his possessions, which he was unwilling to do, he was probably also, I imagine, considering he'd have to give up his status. Like the elevated position society had because of his wealth, he was going to have to give that up, become maybe a nobody in order to follow Jesus, and he was unwilling to do this. But this is a cost that we today have to consider. This is something that many of us in this room struggle with. There are things that Jesus calls us to today that can create some uncomfortable situations. And you may have experienced some of these. If we're trying to share the gospel or love on a neighbor, it can be received poorly. If we're trying to build friendships with coworkers and they find out how committed we are to following Jesus, it can create awkwardness sometimes. But this doesn't mean that the answer is to stop following Jesus or to lessen our convictions. It just means that we need to trust Jesus all the more in those situations and ask him to move through us in the midst of it. Like, Following Jesus means we're going to move into uncomfortable situations where people aren't going to think very highly of us. And what we need to examine in our own hearts and lives is, how do we handle that? Do we consider that something that we need to lessen? Do we need to hide what we really believe in order to make others think better about ourselves? If so, then I think we need to reevaluate that. This could play out in a relationship. You might not be willing to follow Jesus where you know he's called you because it might mean that you have to end a relationship. Or 
to follow Jesus where he's leading you, this might mean that you need to press into a relationship that's been broken and seek reconciliation. And that's always difficult. This could play out in your family. It might mean that you have to be willing to obey what Jesus wants from you more than what your family expects from you. Like We have to die to the approval of others. Because the approval of others is one of the primary causes, I believe, that causes this apathetic, comfortable Christianity. So that's the second thing. And one more thing that I think of that contributes to our apathetic approach towards following Jesus is just our busyness. We in America are so busy. I mean, probably if you think about your own life, you are extremely busy. If you were to think about this upcoming week, the week's probably full. We are a busy people, specifically in the culture we live in. Uh, John Mark Comer is a pastor in Portland. He says something like this. He just says, some people are just too busy to follow Jesus. And he's speaking to Christians. Some Christians are probably too busy to follow Jesus and obey what he's called them to do. We have to evaluate our own lives. We have to evaluate our schedules. We have to evaluate our priorities. Are we putting other things in front of Jesus? Are we too busy to actually follow Jesus? And by follow Jesus, I don't mean, as I talk today, I don't mean just like giving your life to him and trusting you for for your salvation. I mean on a day-to-day basis. Are you following Jesus with your life? Or is money in front of that? And comfort in possessions in front of that? Or is the fear of what people might think of you trumping following him on the day-to-day? Or are you just too busy? Here's the deal about busyness in the culture we live in today. It's almost an inevitability that we struggle with it. It's something that we have to fight against. Some of the things that we fall into. We can think oftentimes that we're too busy to spend time in God's Word. Sometimes on the daily we can, we can believe that we're too busy to spend time with God in prayer. We can think we're too busy to go to our missional family this week. We can think we're too busy to, to commit to setting aside certain times or days of the week to the church or to living on mission. We just end up making a lot of excuses of why we can't do the things that we know are best for us. And we get to this point because we have not stopped and examined our schedules and given priority to the things that help us follow Jesus. When we're too busy to engage in following Jesus, we're essentially saying that we are the center of our own lives. And everything else, our schedules and priorities revolve around us. But when we give our lives to Jesus, we must step out of being the center of our lives and let Jesus take that place so that everything in our life revolves around Him, including our schedules and our priorities. So if you're too busy to follow Jesus, there's some things that you just need to stop and say no to and repent of that. In order for us to be all in on following Jesus, we must allow Him to be the center of our lives. And so I don't know what it is for you. It may not be money. It may not be the approval of others. It may not be that you're, you're ultra busy. But you are not all in with Jesus if you have something in your life that you're placing your hope in, your comfort in, or your security in more than Jesus. Being all in with Jesus means that you are surrendering everything to Him and placing nothing before Him. That's why Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
Like we die to ourselves in following Jesus. We die to ourselves. And the life we now live, we live in, through faith in the Son of God. So there's a lot of different ways that I could frame out today, what do we do with this? And I think the first thing, the foundation that I just want to encourage you with, is, how, is seeing how great Jesus is. Like in order for us to lay down the idols and the things that we struggle with in order to like be all in on Jesus, we have to see how loving and beautiful Jesus is. One of the things I try to do constantly, and this is not always easy, but one of the things I try to do constantly is to remind my heart of how loved I am by Jesus. Because so often, if like like you guys know, like following Jesus is difficult. We have struggles, we have our brokenness, we have our sins that constantly, I think Satan uses to, um, to distract us, to, to speak to us lies that maybe because we're struggling with these things, Jesus doesn't love us as much. And so one of the things I think we have to do constantly is remind ourselves of the good news of the love of Jesus for us. Like in the midst of our pursuit of money, when we struggle with that, in the midst of our fear of what people think about us, in the midst of our busy, hectic, chaotic lives, none of that changes God's view of you. None of that changes the love of Jesus that he has for you. Because this was ultimately displayed through his perfect life and his death and his resurrection. That he died on the cross to take our place. So the sins that we commit are not counted against us. They're placed upon his shoulders. So that the freedom and life and righteousness that is fully his are now given to us. So that we have new life, abundant life, eternal life that starts right now. Like he loves you so much that he was willing to die in your place and call you to himself. Like that's how much he loves you. So even in the midst of the times when we walk away from him on the daily, in the midst of the times when we choose to do our own thing, choose to do what pleases us instead of choosing to follow him and please him, he still loves you. He still loves me. Like Jesus' love for us is the foundation that we need to, to respond to him by laying down our lives for him. After starting there, I think there's two things that I want to encourage you to, to seek to incorporate into your life to help you seek to be all in on following Jesus. And I think we get these from, from this story. The first thing is this. I think we need a humble self-awareness. As followers of Jesus, I think we need a humble self-awareness. I think we need to know who we are. Like the good, but also the bad. Where we're gifted, but also where we struggle and sin. And then in humility, after, we've, after we examine ourselves and know what's really going on deep down, in humility, I think we need to like hold those things out before God and before our church community. And being able to do this, we, we hold those out before God and before our brothers and sisters in Christ, knowing that we're not met with condemnation, but we're met with love and grace. Most people feel like they have to put on a face in front of others. Most Christians feel like they have to put on a face in front of other people in order to be accepted. 
We don't want people to know our struggles. We don't want people to see our sins. And when we do this, I think it shows a lack of belief in the love of Jesus for you and the fact that you are His, the fact that you are accepted, not because of what you do, but because of what He's done for you. And so when we try to put on a face or put on mask and hide what's really going on, we're showing a lack of trust in the gospel. We're showing a lack of trust and belief in the love of Jesus for us. Think about this well-to-do guy from the story we read. All these years, he had been seeking to obey the Ten Commandments as best as he could. I mean, so much so that he could respond to Jesus saying, I've done all those things you said. Did you notice what the things he said? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said, I've done all those, always. Like this guy lacked a little bit of self-awareness. Right? Like to be able to say that you've obeyed all those things to the degree that you can say to Jesus, yeah, I'm good there. Like that shows a little bit of a lack of self-awareness. The problem was, Something else had a grip on his heart that was blinding him. He was showing people one thing on the outside. I'm obeying all these things. But on the inside, his heart was far from God because money and wealth and possessions had such a grip on his heart. As Christians, we need to be willing to let others in on what's really going on in our lives. The things we're really struggling with, we need to let others in. We let others be able to see what's really going on in our lives. So so that they can see some of the things that maybe we don't even see. So they can see, hey, Scott, you got a grip, like money's got a grip on your life that you need to like let go of. Like, let's, we need to pray over you because you're struggling there. What it comes down to is we need to be real. A humble self-awareness means we need to be real. It's fake to say that we don't struggle. Like, it is fake of us as Christians to say that we don't struggle. It's fake to not let others see that struggle. It's fake to say that we're not ever hurting. The Greek word hypocrite means one who wears a mask. I think far too often Christians are wearing masks. And so the charges thrown against us that we're hypocrites is far too often a true charge against us. The church is known as a place where you have to have a mask on to be accepted. And how sad is that? This is stuff that we need to repent of. We need to have a humble self-awareness. We need to own our weaknesses and our failures, and we need to be the first to apologize to others where we've put on a mask in front of them. Because one of the ways that you and I can most clearly display the reality of God's love in our life and the fact that we place our hope in the gospel is when we are able to let others in on our struggles. When we can have this self-awareness and this humility to be able to say others to others, here I am, warts and all. Knowing that we are loved by God and that our brothers and sisters will meet us with love as well. That's why a humble self-awareness is important because it communicates a trust in Jesus. So that's the first thing. In order for us to be all in on following Jesus, we have to take off the mask and have a humble self-awareness. And then I think the second thing that will help us be all in, is we have to realize that following Jesus is a costly adventure. Like, it is an adventure. Like, it is a journey. It is fun. It is a blessing. And yet, it is also extremely costly. 
Following Jesus does not mean that once we've asked Jesus to forgive us of all of our sins and we've been transformed, then we should just expect God to bless all of our lives and all of our plans. Rather, it means that we've been made new so that we can lay down our lives and go and do whatever he calls us to do. Following Jesus is an adventure because we don't know where we'll be or what we'll be doing even a year from now. Like that is an, the adventure of following Jesus, but that also means it's costly. I've heard it described like driving a car down a two-lane road at night. You know, we've all done this. You're driving, there's no lights, like driving down a country road. You're driving, and you can't see very far. You see like as far as your, your lights will show, like maybe 10 to 20 yards. But as soon as you reach those 10 to 20 yards, you see 10 to 20 yards further. That's kind of how following Jesus is. We're fa- we need to be faithful to obey him where, where he's leading us. We don't have to see what's all ahead. But as we follow him where he's leading us, he'll show us what's next. Next, And oftentimes, that can require a cost. Think about the guy from the story. Think about what Jesus called him to do. Hey, you're a man of great wealth. Jesus knows this. I want you to go sell it all and follow me. Like That is quite the ask Jesus is making of this guy. It seems crazy. Go and sell everything and follow Jesus. Where do you want me to go? Where, where do you want me to follow you? Wherever I go. Like That is a big ask. That's costly. That required something from this man. It required him to lay down everything. All that he had built his life up to that point, he had to like be willing to forsake it to follow Jesus. And Jesus doesn't ask us for less than that. That is what Jesus asks you and I for, to lay down our lives. Now, he doesn't necessarily mean that he's asking you to go sell your house and sell, get rid of all your money. But it doesn't mean that he might not ask you to do that. Like we have to be willing to follow Jesus where he leads us. That's why Jesus says later in the this, this story, the verses he says, there is no one who has left their house or their family or their land for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and family and lands, but also with persecutions. Notice how Jesus says that. Like, You'll receive a hundredfold with persecutions, but also in the age to come, you'll receive eternal life. Jesus is acknowledging here that following him is costly, that we will have to make hard decisions, and we may experience persecutions. But he also says that everything you have, like you have to leave for his sake, you'll receive a hundredfold, and also you'll receive eternal life in following Jesus. And that means it's worth it. There's nothing this world has to offer you that is better than following Jesus and getting to be in his presence now and forevermore. There's nothing better than experiencing the presence and power of God in your life. Letting the love of Jesus be what flows in you and through you for eternity. There's nothing better than that. And so as followers of Jesus, we have to examine our lives and say, are there things that we are, through our lives or through our actions, saying are better than that? And if there are things that we're saying are better than that through the way we live, we need to repent of those things and submit them to Jesus because we need to be people who are all in on Jesus. And it's a costly adventure, but it's worth it. Think about this group of disciples. A lot of them were just fishermen. They would wake up early, hopefully catch a bunch of fish, clean the fish, take the fish to the market and sell it for some money, go home and hopefully do the same thing the next day. That was their life. It was hard. It wasn't necessarily comfortable. It was hard, but it was consistent. 
It was like the same, not much change. It was predictable. And then Jesus comes along and calls them to follow after him. Imagine what they would have missed out on had they chosen just the safe, predictable, normal life. They would have missed out on the adventure of following Jesus. I mean, they saw the sick healed, the dead raised, like demon-possessed people set free, put back into a right state of mind. They saw storms like cease at the words of Jesus. They saw thousands and thousands of people fed on just a little basket of food. They saw, they spoke with angels. They touched a living Jesus who had risen from the dead. Just think about the things disciples would have missed had they chosen the things of their life that they had experienced before following him, had they chosen those things more than following after him and the new life he promised them. Again, they had to leave their families. They had to leave their homes. But it was absolutely worth it. Being all in for Jesus means you need to commit your life to living your life first and foremost, saturated underneath the love of Jesus. Reminding yourself daily of the love of Jesus. And when you do this, you're able to then live a life of humble self-awareness and counting the cost of following Jesus. I don't know if you examine your life right now, you would say that you're all in. Some of you probably would. Some of you probably would not. But the church needs you to be all in. Jesus is calling you to all in. And this church, Crosstown Church, needs you to be all in. The church needs you to be who God created you to be. To use the gifts that God's given you to bring fullness to this church body. This church needs everyone contributing the gifts that they have. They need you to be authentic and open about who you are and where your strengths are and where your struggles are. They need you to be willing to go on this adventure of following Jesus together. And it's costly, but it's also the place where you're going to see God do supernatural things through your life. It's when you're willing to give him your entire life. So I want to encourage you to lean into this church community. Because I know Crosstown is genuinely trying to be faithful to Jesus and is really trying to find out how to follow him and to bring about good to this community around them. And this church needs you as they seek to do that. And if you're not a Christian here, I invite you to be all in on following Jesus. It will give your life a true identity as you're humbly trying to follow the way of Jesus. And it will give your life real purpose as you embark on an adventure living for Jesus and seeking his glory in a countercultural way for the good of those around you. So, Crosstown, I, I, I say this to Christ Central Church where I'm at as well. We must be all in on following Jesus. Like that's what he asks of us, and he's our God, and so that's what we must give to him. And we need to do so with a humble self-awareness, willing to count the cost of following him and laying down the areas of our lives where we put other things before him. Because living fully submitted under his love is worth it. It's where your life is meant to be lived. Let's pray.